0: bibles let's hold them up i'm a child of god Have in my hand powerful word of god it can change lives heal broken hearts save man's soul lord jesus today speak to me in jesus name amen high five pound your neighbor now reach over there and hug your neighbor would you hug him right quick give them a hug come on hug your neighbor Come on. There you go. Husbands and wives hug each other. That's good. I found out this week that the closest to the gates, are on my vacation, the closest to the gates of paradise I would ever get are located at the Grace Cathedral Church in San Francisco. As I stood there for Cindy to take a picture in front of these beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, doorway that has the depiction of... Uh, God and Christ is unbelievable she made that comment well the lady standing next to her looked at me like you're a heathen what are you doing here but uh anyway we had fun with that but we went into this Grace Cathedral oh I just stood in the, I stood in the entryway and I just hummed I went hmm, and it just reverberated I wanted to walk up to the vestry and just start singing you know Cindy was cringing no don't go up there so that I was, I was she said I'll, she said what are you gonna sing I'll Fly Away they probably never heard that here i said no i had something like how great thou art in mind so but anyway beautiful uh do a google search grace cathedral san francisco and they have a and look for the website of the church and it comes up and you can see you'll see why i wanted to do that last week um uh, i was grateful that don filled in but i wanted to also stay with the verses that we've as we go through colossians And, and, and last week i would have preached on verses 9 through 14 and paul has a prayer there and In that prayer for the church of Colossae, he prays that they be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's in verse 9. And then verses 10 through 14, he, he prayed that they would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing God. The only way that that can be realized or seen in your life is if you are in and having a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. It is very easy to fall into complacency, especially in the spiritual walk. Once we've accepted Christ as our Savior, once we've gone to the waters of baptism, risen to walk in a new life, we believe that we've done all that we need to do in order to be saved. And yes, that's true. However, if you want that relationship to be deeper and more meaningful, you got to work at it, don't you? It's like getting married. I did a wedding here yesterday afternoon. And the counseling, I loved getting to know this young couple. And uh, I asked them to do something that I ask all couples, if they're living together, I ask them to do this. They don't have to do it, I just ask them. And I asked him, I said, you're coming to church, you're wanting me to do the wedding, so you're obviously wanting God involved in this. They said, yes. I said, I want to ask you for the next seven weeks that you not have sexual relations with each other. And they both looked at me like, huh? I said, I'm really serious. Because if you want God to really bless you, stop that. Until the day you're married and start anew with God's blessing." And last night, or yesterday, right before the wedding, I had a chance to separately ask them. And they both said, Yeah, preacher, we're looking forward to today. (laughs) But you know what? It was just like two kids had come for the first time. I saw it in both of them yesterday. That's the blessing that God does. When we deepen our walk with God, He gets that real with us. I think of the Apostle Paul, for instance. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Colossians in Acts chapter 9, he asks the question on the road to Damascus when he's blinded, he says, who are you, Lord? He didn't know. Now, there's no guy that had more zeal for God than Saul of Tarsus. I mean, he was out grabbing Christians, locking them up, watching them being stoned to death. He was doing it all. But he didn't have a relationship with with Jesus Christ. And when we come to Paul's letter to the Colossians, we learn that Paul had come to a much fuller understanding. In fact, the Bible speaks in Acts of Paul, the, the Jewish folks, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were afraid of him. So the Holy Spirit took him away. God took him down into Samaria for two to three years so the Holy Spirit could work with him and teach him more. So he deepened that walk. And in our scriptures today, verses 13 through 20, we're going to notice a description. There's some descriptive verses about the supremacy of Christ. And I hope that you will finish this message today And be impressed with the fact that Christ is all-sufficient and all-supreme. And He's worthy of our love, our adoration, and our obedience. So who is Jesus called Christ? The first point I want to make comes from verse 13. Paul's giving reasons why we ought to be giving thanks to the Father. And that is... Verse 13, Jesus is the king over His kingdom. Look at verse 13. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. If you highlight and underline, would you underline, rescued us from the dominion of darkness and underline, brought us into the kingdom. Wow. Wow. You get it. It's all yours. Jesus himself in this verse is proclaimed to be a king. He claimed to have a kingdom in John 18. After his re- And by the way, on each of these points, I'm going to give you residual verses. If you want to just jot those down right fast, look them up later as in your devotional and prayer time. <clears throat> but he claimed to have a kingdom. And even came into this world to proclaim that he he was a king in John 18. And after his resurrection, he claimed the extent of his rule in Matthew 28 and Ephesians 1. Also in this verse, we see his kingship and kingdom proclaimed elsewhere. In the book of Revelation, for instance, in Revelation 1.5, he's the ruler over the kings of the earth. In Revelation 1.6, he has made his disciples kings and priests to his God and Father. In Revelation one nine, those who Christ Jesus, those in Christ Jesus are in his kingdom. Revelation two twenty six twenty seven, Revelation three, twenty one, those who persevere to the end with him will reign. You'll receive the crown of life. Also in Revelation 17, 14 and 19, 16, He is truly Lord of Lords and King of Kings. King of Kings. That indicates a supreme Christ. But notice that He is also in verse 14, the Savior from our sins. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow. Wow. Who else can claim that? Now, if you want to be a part of Islam, just take a look in Iran. How do you like what you see? That's Islamic fundamental rule. Where they, if you say you're free and want to express yourself, oh, they'll let you to a point, but not beyond that. That's what Islam does. I'm so glad we're free in Christ, aren't you? I'm so glad. But we are saved and forgiven by virtue of His blood. We have that redemption. The word redemption is a Greek word that means a releasing effected by payment of ransom. a pullotrosis. There's the big Greek word, huh? Boy, that makes you feel good, doesn't it? You want to spell that? <laughs> Just know that it means... Affected payment of ransom. We've been released from the bondage of sin through the payment of Jesus' blood on the cross. Look at Matthew 20 and verse 28 with that one. We're saved by virtue of His blood in redemption and also forgiveness. The Greek word for forgiveness, aphasis, means release from bondage or imprisonment. In Christ we have forgiveness or pardon of sins. Remission of the penalty. I would love to have had a government bailout, wouldn't you? Well, you know, just roll with me on this, all right? Wouldn't it be great if you got up tomorrow and the bank called you and said, hey, you know that mortgage you had? It's gone. Now, I know what you'd do. Oh, I can't believe that. Who's this? You're lying. And you'd go down to the bank. And sure enough, they'd pull it up and said, paid in full. So the next thing you'd want to do is, well, whoopee, thank you, and turn around and walk off, right? Nope. Well, that'd be part of it, but the biggest part is you'd want to know who did that, to which the banker would say, can't tell you. They wanted to stay anonymous. Well, I'm here to tell you that your sins have been paid for. You have been ransomed from the pits of hell by Jesus Christ. So I can tell you who did it. Why aren't we living differently because of that? In Christ, we have forgiveness or pardon of sins. As Pronounced by the angel to Joseph in Matthew 1.21, you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. A king capable of providing redemption and forgiveness from sins. Truly indicating supremacy. But there's more. Look at verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God. Verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now this word image... In the Greek it's icon. It means an image, a figure, a likeness. Jesus is the image of God who is invisible. No man has ever seen God, but Jesus has declared that he has In John 1:18, Jesus himself said in John 14:7 through 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. As expressed by the writer to the Hebrews, Jesus is the brightness of God's glory, the express image of His person in Hebrews 1.3. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Jesus is the image of God in 2 Corinthians 4, four, In the face of Jesus Christ is the knowledge of the glory of God, 2 Corinthians 4, six. From these verses we learn that Jesus accurately and fully expresses the being and the fullness and the perfection of God. And when you look at Jesus revealed in the Word of God, then we can see and know the Father who is invisible. The next description of this supreme Christ is one that confused many, but caused some to draw errored conclusions. But I want us to dive in here anyway. Because if you look again at verse 15, He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The errors and the confusion comes with this idea of firstborn. Because it it can mean the first one born. Some have concluded that this passage about Jesus, that, that He is a created thing. The first of all God's creations. Those led by the Watchtower Society. Jehovah's Witnesses. But it is also used in Scripture as a metaphor to describe one who occupies the rank and privilege of being firstborn without literally being firstborn. It's used by God in that way to refer to the nation of Israel in Exodus 4.22. It's used by God in that way to refer to David who was the youngest of eight brothers in Psalm 89, 20 and verse 27. So any interpretation of the term firstborn must be in harmony with what is taught about Christ elsewhere in Scripture. In John one one through three, Colossians one sixteen, Jesus is clearly proclaimed to be the creator of all things. Which is why the Jehovah's Witnesses try to get around this passage by inserting the modifier other four times in their Bible. The New Witness translation in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, they, were, they put in the word other. To let it read as written by Paul, it destroys their doctrine that Christ is a created being, so they must add to the Word of God. That's why they're dangerous. Very subtle, but they're dangerous. Do not add to the Word of God. In the Jehovah's Witness Bible, in John 1 and verse 1, It says, in our Bible, it says, In the beginning was God, was God, and the Word was God. And he was with God. In their translation, it said, In the beginning was the Word, and he was a God, not the God. Subtle difference, but a huge difference. Because what that does is take Jesus from the realm of Messiah and Savior and put him down on our level. Got it? It behooves us to know. Now, I'm not wanting you to go grab all your Jehovah's Witness friends and start beating them up today. Knowledge is power. You need the knowledge. We're finding it right here in Scripture. So the purpose in using the phrase, firstborn over all creation, I think, is to stress that Jesus is supreme over all creation. He has all the rights of one as if he were a firstborn. Just as God declared Israel to be his firstborn over the nations of the earth, He declared David to be his firstborn over the kings of the earth. So God has declared Jesus to be the firstborn over all creation, though he himself, God himself, not a created being. And we've touched on some of this before, but we also learned from Paul that Jesus in verses 16 through the first part of verse 17 is the creator of all things. Look at these verses. (coughs) Excuse me. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things. Boy, underline that phrase in verse 17. He is before all things. It's amazing the truth concerning Jesus also being confirmed in John 1 verse 3 in the Gospel of John and in Hebrews 1 3, the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews. From those verses, we can learn that when the when the world was created, Jesus was part of the creating agent that helped create everything as it came into being. And everything was created also for Him. That's what Hebrews says. It was, it was put under His feet, a footstool. The world is His footstool. So being the creator of all things, we continue on in verse 17, and we learn that He is... The sustainer of all things. Look at the latter part of verse 17. And in Him all things hold together. All things hold together. In Him all things are kept in their present state. Their existence, their order and arrangement are continued in the present form by His power. Global warming. We're told that this world is warming up. And the the ice caps are melting. And if they're melting, it's supposed to get colder in the south. Hadn't happened yet, had it? it's 65 degrees in san francisco because the bay is 50 degrees year round and that cool that air blows across that cool water hallelujah boy i wouldn't want to live there no thanks 92 different languages spoken in san francisco 92 it's truly an international city among other things it is. But I wouldn't want to live there. Housing, $4,000 a month just to rent a place. Can't buy it because the cost is too high. Of course, somebody may be able to buy California soon. (laughs) All you need is $31 billion. You can make that out to me if you'd like Sustainer of all things. What if Jesus chose to remove His power? What if the world stopped spinning at the speed that it was established in creation? What if it stopped spinning half half a degree? What if it tilted another half degree? What if the moon came two feet closer? He's the sustainer of it all. He holds it together. Now, we are our own worst enemies. We waste more. We pollute more. And we ought to be better about this and doing better about it. In fact, I just read last week that we're going to pay China millions of dollars to supposedly cut back on some of their environmental Why are we paying them? And the demand for them to get the money to do that was that we further cut here in America. (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? Just amazing. But I'm so glad that I don't have to worry about any of that stuff because my Jesus is the sustainer of it all. He holds it all together. Truly, in regards to creation, he's the supreme Christ, preeminent, and he extends also into the realm of redemption as I talked about in verses 13 and 14, but it's developed now further in verses 18 through 20. Let's look at the first part of 18. And He is the head of the body, the church. The church is the body of Christ. The, the Greek word is ekklesia. It means a congregation or assembly made up of people who have been called out. What have we been called out of? We've been called out of sin, of death, into life, into eternity. We should shout for joy. Ha <laughs> ha That's right. But you see, if we're not deepening in that relationship, we forget from whence we've come. Until we make a horrendous mistake, and then the guilt comes. And when the guilt comes and we do that enough, then Satan convinces us that we can't be loved by God. And when he can convince us that God can't love us because of the sin that we've been involved in, we give up and we quit. And we we get complacent. Oh, we still go to church. Oh, we still go to church because, well, well, that's what I need to do. But if we're not doing any growing within that church, why go? Why go? Why make the changes if you're not really going to go deeper? It's like when you get married. If you never, ever get to know that person any better than the day you marry them, what good is it? Cindy and I've been at it 32 years, still learning stuff, still learning stuff. We were, went to Oklahoma City to have dinner with Mark late last night and uh, before he took off, and it was good to visit with him, and I just enjoyed the ride down there and back with her. We held hands. looked at like a couple of sappy old kids. I drove. you who drove? I drove. Fooly on you people well we had a great time so that's just the way it is but he's the head of the church the term church is used in two senses universal the body of all believers throughout the world and then the local uh body a congregation that's saved that's in this location and in this context in colossians 1:18, he's speaking to the church universal. But as the head, Jesus is over the church. In Matthew twenty-eight, 18, we've already seen that He has all authority in heaven and earth. How much more should we hold Him and give Him the rank of preeminence in this church? He's the one who controls the destiny of those in His church, according to Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. But He's also, in the latter part of verse 18, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Look at what it says. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. The word beginning comes from the Greek arche. Various shades of meaning, but it, it, it can include several things. Beginning, origin, the person or thing that commences, the first person or thing in a series, the leader. That by which anything begins to be. The origin, the active cause, the first place, the principality, the ruler. Wow, that's a strong word, isn't it? Strong word using the Greek text. But remember the use of the word firstborn. It doesn't necessarily mean the first one, but can refer to the supreme one. Jesus was not the first person to rise from the dead. Jairus' daughter, the son of the widow of Nain. And then, of course, Lazarus. But he is the first to rise, never to die again. The problem with Jairus' daughter and Lazarus is, they got to die a second time. What a bummer. Be right there in the throngs of heaven and brought back. Uh Uh-uh. Leave me there. But Jesus is the only one who not only died, but he rose again, never to die again. And that's declared elsewhere to be the first fruits of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. 20 and verse 23. The term first fruit suggests the cream of the crop, that which is preeminent, supreme. In regards to the resurrection of the dead, Jesus is both the origin and active cause, the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. He's the active cause of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. By His own resurrection, never to die again, He is the firstborn from the dead, the supreme one. Two more points are made by Paul in regards to the supreme Christ. Look at verse 19. Jesus dwells for God has pleased was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So the fullness of all things he dwells there. He is clearly the fullness of God. We've seen it in one in, uh, back up in verse fifteen, where he's the image of the invisible God, and later Paul de- declares that Christ dwells in all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in chapter two and verse nine. He's also our fullness. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in him. We have all the treasures of the wisdom of knowledge, Colossians two three. We are complete in him, Colossians two ten. And finally, we learn in verse twenty that Jesus is the reconciler of all things to god look what it says and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross the father's desire is to reconcile to himself first of all things on the earth that includes sinful man take a look at 2 corinthians 5:18 through 20 it also includes both jews and gentiles look at ephesians 2:14 through 18 he also wants to reconcile to Himself things in heaven. That's a difficult phrase. What does He mean by that? It would be easy to fall into vain speculation as to what that means. I mean, after all, what, what in heaven does God need to reconcile to Himself? But whatever Paul might be alluding to, the point's clear. Jesus is to be the reconciler of all things. Of all things. And God is able to reconcile all things by Jesus to Himself having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through the death of Jesus on the cross, it's now possible for sinful man to be reconciled to God. Romans 5.10 and Colossians 1.21 and 22, which we'll see later. Now let me sum all this up. Paul had certainly come a long way in his understanding of Jesus since the day he met Him on the Damascus road. Ten things I went over this morning. The King over His kingdom. The Savior from our sins. The image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. The creator of all things. The sustainer of all things. The head of the body the church. The beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The fullness of all things. The reconciler of all things to God. I trust that your understanding and appreciation of Jesus has in, increased today. Perhaps we can also appreciate why Jesus received so much praise and adoration in heaven found in Romans 5 I mean Revelation 5:11 through 22. What are we doing to show our appreciation to Jesus our supreme and all-sufficient savior? The words in Luke 6.46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? That verse implies that the best way to, we can praise Him is by obeying Him. Have you obeyed Jesus in responding to His gospel call? Matthew 16.16, 16, Acts 2.38 Are you obeying Jesus by living a faithful life as His disciple? Revelation 2. In verse 10, worship team's going to come help me finish. And I finish with this story. Roger Staubach, who led the Cowboys to World Championship in 1971, admitted that his position as a quarterback who didn't call his own signals was a source of trial for him. Coach Landry sent in every play. He told Roger when to pass, when to run, and only in emergency situations could he change the play, and he better be right. Even though Roger Staubach considered Coach Landry to have a genius mind when it comes to strategy in football, pride said that he should be able to run his own team. Staubach later said this, and I quote, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. I tell you today, young people especially, I tell you today, When you learn to submit to the authority of your parents in every possible way, then, and only then, can you understand how to submit to God's authority. Because God placed your parents over you, young people, as authority in your life. Well, you may not like what they do, and you may not like what they say, but you're not going to like a whole lot of what God says in his word either. And guess what? The sooner we're obedient and compliant, the faster we find victory. Have you discovered that yet, folks, in your life? Because trust me, somebody will be an authority over you. (laughs) Somebody will. The Bernie Madoffs of life try to make it easy. And there's a lot of people crying today because they trusted a man like that. Would you put your trust in Christ, who will never let you down, who will always be there for you, who will take your sins away, and bring you joy unspeakable. Father, I ask you this morning as we sing a hymn of invitation that you not pass us by. That's the song we are going to sing is Lord, pass me not, O gentle Savior. God, I know there's some people here today that need to respond. But it takes a lot of courage to do that. It takes a lot of lowering of our pride to say, you know, Jesus, I need you. But I'm praying that they will respond. I'm praying that they will see that need. And I'm praying that they will have that courage. God, we love you. We love you as a church. And you are truly the head of this church. We don't make decisions that we haven't prayerfully considered. And God, we just ask you to guide, continue to guide us. And Father, we pray today that there's a lost soul sitting here. They'll ask and respond so we can study with them and help them understand what that means. So Father, move move right now in this moment, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.